0: Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarring from Zuma Radio AM 740.
1: Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Carlos Kajina is our technical producer, and Ryan White is the live stream producer. Please check out my YouTube and Rumble channels, Strange Planet. All right. Well, talking about planets, we are about to uh, delve into some uh, wonderful mysteries, secrets and cover-ups on this planet and beyond, including the moon, Mars, and even our very own sun. These are all images captured on satellite that don't really fit with the official narrative. The new book from Mary Joyce is called Spy in the Sky, Secrets and Cover-Ups on Earth and Beyond. Just got my, my copy from Mary in the mail recently, and it's just filled with some incredible images, and we're going to discuss some of these uh, satellite uh, images and put them up uh, on the, uh, the live stream as well as we're discussing them. And uh, Mary's a good friend of the program. She's worked for uh, two major metropolitan newspapers, the Orlando Sentinel in Florida as an artist and a columnist and the Oakland Press in Michigan, as a, a Sunday Magazine editor and then a feature editor. On the side, she's written magazine articles and books, and since 2008, she's been the main researcher and editor for a fabulous website called Sky Ships Over Cashiers, dot com skyshipsovercashiers.com and the website features a wide variety of cutting-edge topics from UFOs to secret underground bases from Bigfoot to Cherokee Little People. She is the author of the aforementioned Spy in the Sky, also underground military bases hidden in North Carolina Mountains. Cherokee Little People were real. Tangible evidence of Jesus left behind for us. And Bigfoot beyond the footprints. Mary, welcome back to the program. How are you?
2: Fine. It's always good to see you, and I enjoy talking to you.
1: Likewise. Well, congratulations on Spy in the Sky. And uh, we have talked in the past many times, actually, about um, how you use, for example, uh, Google Earth and others to spot artifacts that appear to be to have some intelligence behind them, not natural um, formations, but uh, artificial-type artifacts found uh, on the ocean floor uh, or on other planets. But now you've, you've collected them and put them all in, in one book. And it's, again, called Spy in the Sky, Secrets and Cover-Ups on Earth and Beyond. Let's begin by explaining... The, I mentioned Google Earth, but what other... Where, where else are you getting your images
2: um, it, many different ways, mostly with Google uh, Earth. And I really want to emphasize that anybody in your audience can use this as a tool. Now, it takes a lot of patience because I've cruised Mars, I've cruised Antarctica, I've cruised the ocean, I've cruised um, many places. You don't find things right away. This has been over years that I have found these things, and I haven't found these anywhere else Um on the internet. So we I'm dealing with some really fresh images that will be new to most people. Uh, the most different source that I have um, comes from a man who was from the Netherlands and he contacted me back in 2013. And he was taking uh, uh, NASA and SOHO satellite images. A SOHO satellite monitors the sun every 15 minutes, it mm-hmm. takes a picture, constantly monitors it. He would take those NASA photos, which any of us can find on the internet, and then he would blow them up and clean up the debris and the interference, and it's astounding what he would find. Something that might look like a, uh, a comet streaking across uh, the sky near the sun proved to be something that looked like a giant um, extension rod with an intricate metal parts to it, and these things are not like the saucers that we see in photograph near uh, the earth uh we have two of them that he found um that um, we call them hotels and one is the uh, phoenix hotel because it looks a little bit like a phoenix with wings another one was um we called it the isis hotel again a similar kind of structure but you zoom in and you see structure you see metal you see intricacies Uh, like I've never seen with any UFOs before. Those are wonderful. Uh, There's a bit of a mystery with him because uh, we were in touch from 2013 to 2015, and then it's like he dropped off the earth. Uh, His his, uh, YouTube channel ceased to be updated. Um, I couldn't reach him no matter what. And I don't know if he just got tired of doing it, uh, which doesn't sound likely. Uh, if he got sick, if he died, or if he was pressured to quit doing this, because NASA um, on, on some of their sites will deny that any of these things could possibly be real.
1: Uh, this is uh, Mart Padmos,
2: uh, the right. that you're referring right. to.
1: And um...
2: he wanted the world to see these. So whatever has happened to him, I feel like I'm carrying on his mission by including those photos in the book. And they're remarkable. All of them, absolutely all of them, are bigger than Jupiter. Some are have a bigger diameter than the sun itself.
1: Right. You mentioned, uh, and we'll, we'll put these, uh, I'll have my live stream producer insert these up on the screen. We won't see them now as we're talking, Mary, but uh, they will be up there for people to see when this goes to air. So um, you mentioned this uh, image or this this artifact that appeared between the this the NASA's SOHO. Uh, what does that stand for? SOHO. Do we? What is the? Oh um,
2: goodness, I don't know if I can remember. Now. Um, it's one of those acronyms, and I'm really bad at those. Okay, I got it, it here. Is, Sorry, I've got it, it here. It is right. a um, satellite that's always monitoring the sun.
1: Right, and um, yeah, I'm just seeing if I can. get It's
2: like that. solar heliotropic. Um, Satellite, I don't, I really don't. There it to. is,
1: Solar and Heliospheric Observatory.
2: My Solar. books are smarter than I am.
1: No, no, that's all right. This, these are Solar and Heliospheric Observatory. So, um, you mentioned this image that appeared between Soho and the sun, and it's immense, uh, because you know, keep in mind that the sun is,
2: well, um, in like, Round figures, it's like 860,000 miles across or in diameter, right? And when you have things near the sun that are bigger than that, we're talking humongous, absolutely humongous,
1: right? And so, this image that appeared, or this artifact that appeared, uh, it looks like a like a thunderbird or a phoenix. I when right. I saw the image that you sent I me mean, to me, I, I thought of a uh, thunderbird, oh. these mythical. Huge winged creatures, but a phoenix is another example. Uh, so Ryan will put that up there. So this was captured by Soho. Uh
2: huh. A and NASA then, camera. NASA camera caught all these. The problem is there's a lot of debris and interference, and this man had the technical expertise and computer expertise to clean up that interference and to clean up the debris so you could see the detail.
1: Right. It's up on the uh, on the screen now, and then uh in the book you've zoomed you've zoomed in or or Matt, uh mark padmo zoomed in and then he sent you the photo and, and and as you say you can see the um this is clearly you know um it's not organic i mean there are there are right angles uh, uh on this and and it it appears to be you know metallic in some way Uh, I've
2: tried to find words to describe it, and I don't know why this image comes to mind. But if you ever look at a silver saxophone, you see all those buttons, and you see the shiny metal and uh, intricate keys. There's that kind of intricacy in some of the images.
1: Right. So can anyone access the uh, NASA SoHo?
2: Yes. uh, Yes.
1: Just on your computer? Uh-huh. Wow. Wow. And it updates, it takes a photograph of this. It's taking a
2: photo every 15 minutes. I will check in on it every once in a while, and every once in a while I'll get lucky and I'll see one of these things. Uh, Sometimes, you know, people will dismiss them. It'll just look like a distant shooting star going across in front of the camera. Uh, But when you zoom in on those, they're not shooting stars. They're not comets. They're um, something that's been made by intelligent beings. So yeah if this
1: was um a satellite or something that was that was orbiting the sun I mean it, it should show up in regular intervals I mean that would be a huge task you know because for something to to orbit the sun depending on how long it took, I don't know but um, um it would be interesting to see if this this uh flying what did you call it the uh, the flying Phoenix hotel whether that showed up again. So do you also monitor the Soho Observer?
2: Not with regularity, but I will take time every once in a while. And what you can do once you get into that site, you can skim through all the ones that have been taken for the last 24 hours. And so you just skim down, and if something jumps out, uh, then I slow down and take a good look at it. You can look for days and never find anything, and then you can find a bunch of fantastic things.
1: And it's it's curious that NASA wouldn't take these down in...
2: Um, sometimes they do, but see, it's a live feed. And if you're right there watching live feed, you have a good chance of catching it. Every, uh, computer keyboard has a key that you can press, uh, that will capture whatever images is on your screen. And I encourage people to learn where it is on their keyboard if they don't already know, because some of these things you may never see again.
1: Right. So, um, getting back to Google earth, uh, because you you only use the, you can only use that on the Earth or can you use Google Earth and turn does it turn around and also
2: up at the top of the page you'll see I think it's an image of Mars and you have a choice of Mars the Moon or Earth that you that Google uh, Pro will take you to
1: right so you
2: click the one you want
1: okay so um, with the um, with Google Earth and when you're looking at the Earth you Are primarily looking at the, uh, the oceans, on the ocean floor?
2: Uh, no, no. Uh, Antarctica has been a major uh, focus that's included in the book. Uh, beneath the ocean is another focus. So those are just things that I haven't seen anywhere else before that I have been trying to uh, get out and show people how, you know, what's out there to really see.
1: So do you have any... Um any tips, hacks, as we call them now, I guess, in order to help people if they want to, they want to participate and do what you're doing because you know the more eyes, eyeballs, the better, obviously. Um, how do you, how do you approach this? Uh, I mean, you must do it systematically. In other, in other words, you have to have a game plan. Otherwise, you're just, you
2: just well, can spend hours it depends. And I'll give it. you, I'll give you the game plan. Like on Mars, um, on Mars, the latest thing I've been doing is I found out where. Water is most likely on the planet. There is another acronym. It's SWIM, S-W-I-M. Don't ask me what the letters stand for, but they're looking for water and ice just beneath the surface of Mars. Water is essential for life. So I figured that would be a really potent area to begin doing searching. So sometimes I'll start out with a plan like that. Sometimes I'll just zero in on someplace and just start cruising. And sometimes I get lucky. Um, you don't instantly find these things unless you're really lucky. Um, and there's sometimes a great deal of time between some of the things I have in the book. For example, I think it was in 2011, I was cruising the northern hemisphere of Mars and found what looks to be like a habitat or a self-contained living uh, space that, where a human being or human beings could live. It was five years later, when I was doing a similar cruise in the southern hemisphere, that I found another one. Um, The first one was 700 feet in length. And even though the image is kind of blurry, you can tell it is not something that is part of a natural topography of a planet. I don't care which planet you pick. And then the one that was found in the southern hemisphere five years later is 7,000 feet in length. I assume the smaller one was built first.
1: Uh, I'm just looking through the uh, the series of images you sent me. There's one um, on page one of the f- images that you sent me. There's the uh, photo you're of you're the
2: only one that has a copy of that, so I can't even have a reference. <laughs> okay,
1: but it's it's. Um- well, it looks to be like it's on the red planet. That it's very red and sandy, and then there's. A, it looks like a garage door, an open garage oh,
2: door. Oh, oh! Now that was a, that was an interesting experiment. Normally, when I cruise a planet or um, I go from east to west or west to east, um, this time I tipped the the planet and started doing the same search going from north to south. If I hadn't done that, I would never have discovered. 27 entrances all in a line going into the interior of Mars. And they're all set very, very similar in structure. They're all in a line spread out over 16 miles. And they range in width um, from 400, round figures, from 400 feet to 1,000 feet. Um, across. At, uh, the horizon, Yes, across. And they look like um, uh, warehouse entrances or... You know, I, I don't know how else to describe them. Yeah. And that, that's big, you know, a thousand feet across. Anything we can fathom can fly into that. Anything we have that's man-made on this planet can fly into one of the smaller entrances, which is 400 feet.
1: And there are 27 of them from the South Pole of Mars to the North Pole. All it's
2: going through. north. and I'm not saying it's spread out that whole way, but it is on a north-south axis. It spread out over 16 miles, and there's 27 of these entrances. Wow. That blew my mind. And that uh, is a way of confirming what uh, Hyman Ashid said uh, back in December of 2020. Now, he was uh, the head of Israeli space security for nearly 30 years. Uh, Wonderful credentials. He'd won many awards, uh, uh, just incredible credentials. And in the Jerusalem Post in 2020, in December, he went public about a number of things. And I hope, well, let's see, maybe I can find that page. Because there's some quotes that are there that should be shared with your audience.
1: Page eight. It's page eight. Professor oh, yeah. I am hashed, again, head of Israel's security space program from 1981 to 2010, also a three-time recipient of the Israeli Security Award. So this guy has credentials to say. Right.
2: Those and keep that page open since you can access that quicker than I can. Um, I've highlighted two sentences there. Read that to your audience. This is, this is a, uh, it's entirely a quote uh, from him. Um, but those that are highlighted are uh, important.
1: All right. This is his statement. Professor Haim Eshed's statement as published in the Jerusalem Post article. And that was from December 8th, 2020. Quote, the UFOs have asked not to publish that they are here. Humanity is not ready yet. Trump was on the verge of revealing, but the aliens in the Galactic Federation are saying, wait, let people calm down first. They don't want to start mass hysteria. They want to first make us sane and understanding. And then he goes on to say, they have been waiting for humanity to evolve and reach a stage where we will generally understand what space and spaceships are. There is an agreement between the U.S. government and the aliens. They signed a contract with us to do experiments here. They, too, are researching and trying to understand the whole fabric of the universe, and they want us as helpers. And uh, he also writes, or, or says in this interview in the uh, Jerusalem Post, there's an underground base in the depths of Mars... Where their representatives are, and also our American astronauts.
2: And then I find those uh, entrances all in a line. And I go, isn't that interesting? between that, between that, and those two habitats, um, that clearly shows to me that we are we have human beings on the planet right now, and why they maintain this other space program with outdated rocketry. Um, uh, t- it's it's almost like they're using that to distract the public from what's really going on.
1: Dog and pony and show. that
2: sounds like an expensive dis- distraction, but clearly that must be what they're doing because there's no way that they're blasting rockets to Mars to get this kind of uh, operation going.
1: No, not using old fashioned mm-hmm. rocket fuel. No. Um, and think about that. If, if that is in fact the case that they have this dog and pony show, like window dressing to distract us, Uh, Meanwhile, there's this secret space program, and they're using, who knows what, anti-gravitics, what technology, you know, to to get a base to Mars and establish a colony there. Um, I mean, people are dying to this day in, you know, uh, in horrible accidents. We had the shuttle, the shuttle uh, disasters. Uh, All of that is unnecessary. So... Um, they have a lot to answer for, let's put it that way, uh, when, when this is all uh, said and done. Mary Joyce is with us, and uh, she's a journalist, author, and uh, the founder, creator of Skyship, Skyships Sky Over Cashiers.com and her brand new book, Spy in the Sky, and uh, these are, many of them, uh, Google Earth Images. And on Google Earth, you can take uh, images or you can find images not only on Earth, but also on uh, the moon and on Mars. And just another quick, um, a quick tip. Uh, you've pointed this out previously. When you're looking for something, when you find something, something remarkable, take a note of, you, won't, you want to pin it and take a note of the, the, uh, the coordinates, right?
2: That's correct. Right.
1: Because,
2: <laughs> but, and again, that uh, I, a lot of people don't know that they can uh, print the screen, whatever's on your computer screen, there's a button to hit that and that will save whatever you're seeing. And it, that's so important, because so many of these things that I have found, uh, as soon as I post them on the website, they disappear or they get blurred or they get um, totally distorted. So um, if you find something important, please hold on to it.
1: How, often, how long do you have to look let's say let's say you're looking in the Antarctic How long do you have to look typically before you get a hit?
2: okay once you get uh, your first hit then it becomes a little bit easier. I want to give full credit to a young uh, to a woman her name is Mary Hall and she had a stroke at a very young age she's probably about fifty now and for a while she was bedridden and she amused herself by Using Google Earth and exploring things. About a year ago, oh well, yeah, in May of 2021, she started exploring Antarctica. She spent four months looking for something that might be interesting, and one day she found this. It's it looks like a black crack in the ice, and she went delving. That you can go down and you can delve real deep with with Google Earth, and she found the remains of an ancient city. Well, once I found that out, then I began to uh, explore myself, and I realized how she had found that. So after four months of hard work from her, I was kind of given a jump start on how to find these images myself. Between the two of us, we ended up finding the ruins of five different ancient cities beneath the ice in Antarctica. The ice in Antarctica is melting really, really fast, so all sorts of stuff is being discovered. Now, here is something that I think is really important to emphasize. Most scientists agree that Antarctica has been covered with ice for 34 million years. So what's um, being uncovered now is the oldest thing we have ever heard of. Uh, People think the uh, Great Pyramid's old. It's less than 5,000 years old compare 5000 years to 34 million i mean the mind can't even comprehend it so these are truly extraordinary things to discover
1: and uh, again speaking to my live stream producer ryan um if you go to page two that i sent you and it's the second image and that is one of the ancient cities that appears to be emerging from antarctica's ice if you could put that up on the screen and um, you write here, Mary, an ancient metropolis discovered emerging from Antarctic melting ice back on September 18th, 2021, by Mary Hall, who found it using Google Earth. A portion of that city shown above, uh, and then you've increased the photo contrast to so the city walls are instantly recognizable. And again, when you look at this image and you, you, um, you zoom in, you can see these are, these are not, these, they can't be natural formations. They're right angles uh right angles there's an intelligence behind uh whatever created this
2: now i only sent you the one image which is a good one and and you're putting you either have it up or going to put it up but on some of them the cities spread out like cities do now today on earth there's one that looks like it's stretched out along a river it's got that kind of an organic flow to it so um The cities then, like the cities now, uh, will evolve somewhat organically.
1: And um, have you gone back to check to see whether these are still visible on Google Earth or have they been blurred or erased somehow?
2: In the book, I show, I don't know what the state of them is right now. uh, I haven't checked them in the last two or three weeks. But I have some in there where you can see where they have deliberately blurred them. And I will have the shot that I took a screenshot of and I will have what they did often within a day of me posting it.
1: All right. Um, I want to go back to the, uh, another image that you sent me that I want to put up on the screen here. And um, there's a, a a sort of a wide shot of this and it looks, it's very yellow. um, And then you zoom in and it looks like some sort of a circular or a round disc and uh, almost like it's, it's been, it was trying to, or it landed and it slid along the surface and then came to rest. Do you know which one I'm referring yes,
2: to? Yes, I do. And um, I, I, another thing you can do with Google Earth Pro is you can measure things, which, you know, in feet or yards or kilometers or, or, or whatever. And the, it's a circular-shaped UFO that's about 400 feet in diameter. And you can see the skid mark. And I've measured the skid mark, and it's over 4,400 feet in length. And then you can see where this thing has like crashed into the soil of um, the planet.
1: I'm sorry, did you say Mars? This is Yeah, Mars. that's
2: Mars. Wow.
1: And um, what is that yellow band? Did, um,
2: It almost looks like that was, and I can only guess on this, it looks like that image was caught when this was crashing in because it looks like it was um, heat-generated street marks. uh, Right. uh, That's what it looks like to me. And it also has a white reflection off the back. The sun hits Mars also, so there are shadows and reflections uh, just like we have. Remarkable.
1: Remarkable remarkable have uh, uh, and again you're able to mark the coordinates even on the red planet uh 81 degrees 20 minutes 51 seconds or something like that north 91 28 38 86 east
3: that's right and
2: i should point this out i'm not trying i'm trying to share this information with with people and everything i have found i have tried to find the coordinates so that anybody can copy those coordinates and paste it into, well, or put it into the uh, search bar for uh, Google Earth, and you can find these sites for yourself. And that's a nice place to start. You can take one of those images, and then you can explore further from there.
1: Do you ever get uh, any, I don't know, phone calls in the middle of the night, cryptic messages saying, what are you up to, Mary? What are you doing?
2: Um. No, I've had some strange things happen, but not like that. And most of those things happened when I I first started the website and had a different computer. And I'll just quickly tell you one story. Um, I was working on uh, a UFO story for the website. I didn't finish it. The next morning I got up, went into my office and was going to finish it. Couldn't find it. Well, what happened was all of my UFO files had disappeared, every single one of them. But everything else I had on my computer was there. I called in the guy who was the head of computer services for the university uh, here close to me. And he came to my home and checked it out. He said he couldn't even find remnants of it in the bowels of the computer. He'd never seen anything like it. He didn't know how it was done. So that would probably be the most unusual a thing that's
1: happened to me um White i don't know I, hopefully
2: White i won't clean. stir up anything with this book
1: <laughs> i'm i am flipping here uh, forgive me i'm flipping through as we're talking because i'm trying to find this and i'm listening intently but i'm trying to find this another image that you sent me in the book uh it almost looks like um almost like a bullet hole because the edges around this opening are very jagged on the top. I don't know if is the, it
2: is it is, is it one of the few black and white pictures?
1: Um, no, it's uh, this is one of the two. I found it now on page 26. It's one of the two entrances. Now we're bouncing back to the Antarctic, uh, two entrances into Antarctica's ah. interior. And so we're um, just
2: going to jump your audience all over the place today. Now we're back on Antarctica. I love we are. it.
1: Well, I'm just looking at the the images that you sent me. And I'm kind well, of well.
2: that's a good one. That's yeah. a good one. And um
1: what can you tell me about this entrance? Well there's
2: a good story with that one too, as far as cover up goes. Um, found two entrances into Mars. Uh one of them looks like it has a metal awning over it and it's at an angle, so I can't get precise measurements of it.
1: Sorry, Antarctica. I, you mentioned you said Mars. We're back on Antarctica.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. I'm uh, sorry. Yes, I see, metal, I, see you, metal, I see the
1: metal. I see the metal I see the metal dome over the entrance.
2: Yeah. But it's at an angle, so you can't really measure the width of it. The other one, which on that page is right next to it, is a straight-on shot. And that one's 300 feet across and 100 feet high. Now, that's the one where there's been some really interesting activity. I posted those two together on the website, skyshipsovercashers.com. And immediately, I think it was the next day, but it was very, very shortly after posting that, it was like somebody picked up a bottle of black India ink and poured it all over it. You couldn't see the entrance at all. Ah. The next step was that um, these two entrances had been covered up, but they still had words on it and it said Hollow Earth entrance one, Hollow Earth entrance two. All right. Then the next step of the cover up was those disappeared. And finally, they turned the entire thing into oh, a a snowfield, and you couldn't even tell that there ever had been anything there. So I show the steps of the cover up, and again, by pressing that screen uh, button on my keyboard, I was able to save these things.
1: Um, I'm just going to work through another uh, image that you sent me so that Ryan can put this up on the screen. And um, this looks like it's, uh, well, it's in the ocean and it. Looks like it might be off the coast of uh, California. And it's just, um, I can't really zoom in. Maybe I can find it.
2: Here, I can explain it. I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. And um, I found a whole series of ancient structures beneath the surface of the Pacific, all the way from Alaska down to the Baja Peninsula. I think the one that you have was uh, one that looks like an underwater airport yes and yes. it's it's in the ocean between or the it's it's the bay of california i think yep. but it's east of baja it's between baja and mexico
1: it's east of the baja peninsula you're right next to that's it
2: a... i also sent you a picture of the spokane um airport and you can see how the runway that's down deep beneath the ocean and the runway in spokane look incredibly similar but here's the difference the longest airport airport runway in the world is just slightly over three miles. That one that's under the ocean is, I think it's 89 miles small or 88, 89 miles in length. We're talking humongous. Every structure I found along the West coast of California and Baja and Canada, they're huge, huge structures. So whatever intelligence created those, they probably were a totally different species because everything is so huge.
1: I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, it does. It looks like an airport. <laughs> Any idea what the depth of the water is there?
2: No, I wish that I had done that. I did not do that in the book. I, I've got the length of the runway and where it's located and the coordinates, but no, I didn't get that answer.
1: And again, uh, Ryan, if you could put up those images, this is uh, possible undersea airport east of Baja Peninsula. And then, once you post that, post the image of the uh, runway from the Spokane International Airport. <laughs> and you're right, it, it, it looks pretty much the same. 89 miles. This yeah,
2: runway. isn't that, you've got the page there, I think. I I'm, I'm within a mile of it, I know.
1: Yes. 89 miles long. And again, um, have you gone back to check the coordinates for this one to see if it's still there?
2: Um, I'm going to have to do that. As you know, I. by the way, I wanted your audience to know that you're the one who gave me the impetus to do this book. Ah. And I had been collecting all this information. This idea kind of resided in the back of my head. And you and I had a conversation. And by the time you were done talking to me, I thought, I got to do that so you get the credit for me getting off my butt and making this happen and well, i want the audience to I, know thank that. you
1: that's very kind mary i played a very very small role i simply reminded you of something well
2: you played. kicked me in the butt so i mean that was good
1: <laughs> you know what why don't we employ our listeners let's put them to work let me give them the coordinates and you know they can check these things out and see if it's still there the um again we're talking about a possible undersea airport east of the baja peninsula the coordinates on google earth Are 26 degrees, uh, 50 minutes, 31 seconds north. Again, 26 degrees, 50 minutes, 31 seconds north. 100 degrees, 37 minutes, 0 seconds west. I think I read those out correctly. That's the way you're supposed to.
2: But what you might want to do is to um, just show it on your screen, show the coordinates on the screen, then people can more easily jot them down. There you go. They're confusing. Talking coordinates is like listening to Japanese.
1: Right. Okay. So I'll give Ryan, you, you put those coordinates up. 26, 50, 31 North, 110, 37, 00 West. He'll put those up. That's a great idea. And check it out and let us know. Has that image been obliterated or blurred? All right. uh, This was a short segment. We'll come uh, come back and finish up with Mary Joyce. Again, the new book, Spy in the Sky, Secrets and Cover-Ups on Earth and Beyond. The website, skyshipsovercashiers.com.
0: Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. A final segment with Mary
1: Joyce, journalist, author. Spy in the Sky is the latest. Other books include underground military bases hidden in North Carolina mountains, Cherokee Little People Were Real, Tangible Evidence of Jesus Left Behind for Us, and Bigfoot Beyond the Footprints. Um, When putting this book together, Mary, what would you say was your, your biggest find, your favorite find from Google Earth?
2: From Google Earth. I think what's going on on Mars is incredibly important. I just uh, that's that's going that is giving us a glimpse of our future that is showing us what's currently going on Um, I tend to want to look forward rather than backward and that would the discoveries on Mars I think are the most outstanding in my own opinion but as far as archaeology goes the things beneath the ocean and the things that are coming up from the Antarctic are pretty incredible too
1: right um I don't have these images to put up on the screen, but can you talk to me a little bit about, about these undersea pyramids in the Bahamas? Do you remember those on page?
2: Yeah. And there's a personal 36? story that goes with that. I used to live on Cocoa beach between Patrick air force base and the Kennedy space center. And one day I was with a friend and we were having drinks um, at the, the pier and got into a conversation with a couple and they were all excited. They were divers and they had been diving off of Bureau beach, Florida. and, um, they had found um, a pyramid and what happens is there is a sandy bottom to the Atlantic and when there's storms, um, big storms, it will turn up the sand and a lot of the treasure hunters will then fly in low plains to tre- see if they can find treasures and um, some of these pyramids become visible under those conditions Well, I started using Google Earth in my great detective work here and found um, two pyramids uh, south of Paradise Island in the Bahamas. And that's another cover-up story because I have the original images that I found. And then shortly after that, um, they went in and put new satellite strips. Well, one of the strips was really small, and it just happened to have been placed right where those pyramids are. So that's the kind of craziness that uh, goes on with the cover-ups.
1: Remarkable. Remarkable. Uh, Let's see here. Um, Alaska. Can we move up to the uh, Alaskan coast here? Evidence of ancient civilizations off Alaska's coast. And um, you give a a shout-out to someone, Colin Andrews, for suggesting you explore a particular area off the southern coast of Alaska.
2: Now, Colin uh, Andrews may be somebody that your listeners, or at least some of them might be familiar with. He is known for his work with um, discovering and uh, getting photos and analyzing uh, crop circles. And so how he got down beneath the water of the ocean, I don't know, but he found something he found peculiar. And um, the first thing I found under his uh, direction was like a, a square rectangle of horizontal lines all parallel and i i don't i think they're like five miles in length and they're all parallel in a perfect box well what's that doing on the bottom of the ocean and then it's like you can see um perhaps roads that connect that with something else um it gets rather intricate and it is beyond describing with words other than what i just told you the rest of it's really confusing
1: Amazing. I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm standing here looking, or sitting here looking at these images. Um, evidence west of Gorda. Another unusual pattern of equally spaced perpendicular lines on the ocean floor directly west of the town of Gorda, uh, which is uh, south of Big Sur State Park. And um, I mean, this is even more elaborate. These, these lines kind of crisscross a little bit. But again, right. you have yeah,
2: parallel uh, lines uh, in one direction and parallel lines in another direction. Um, I think that whole formation is 28 miles in one direction and 25 d- miles in the other direction. Yes, It looks like some farmer's field, except the dimensions are so big. Um, some of the strips there that would be like rows of uh, produce, let's say, or crop. Um, I think are over a mile in width. Um,
1: 1.43 miles in width.
2: So we're not talking something small.
1: Uh, South of Long Beach, evidence of a third California coastal ruin about 46 miles south of the Malibu structure. Well, first of all, we should talk a little bit about the Malibu structure.
2: Um, We talk about what gets me started on stuff. Back in 2014, uh, somebody found this huge structure off of Malibu, uh, and it's huge uh, the roof you can measure on on Google Earth and it's like three miles across and it's it's sort of like anyhow it's flat. the side view when you look at it it's being the roof is being held up by pillars and um, anyhow i when I found that out, I thought. That's probably not the only thing along the California coast. So I spent a great deal of time just cruising the coast up and down and ended up finding things from Alaska down to Baja. Um,
1: Yeah, the Malibu structure, you do have a picture of it in the book. And you're right, when you see it on the side angle, you do see Mm -hmm. pillars, what appear to be pillars, holding up this massive...
2: Now, to make it even more interesting, that particular area uh, is where people see a lot of UFOs. So there's two possibilities for the origin of these that I've come up with. One is it's some kind of alien civilization. Two, who knows? Maybe it's a remnant from uh, ancient Lemuria, which is also known as Pan or uh, Mu, which was uh, a civilization supposedly uh, that sunk into the Pacific Ocean. Well, that has been dismissed as myth. But when you begin to find these structures along the West Coast, you go, hmm, it could be part of that. Right. So it's either uh, very ancient or it's ET. And if somebody has another idea, I'd certainly love to hear it.
1: And our uh, uh, Preston Dennett has done a lot of uh, research and work in terms of uh, UFOs coming out of the submersibles. These are submersible uh, UFOs coming out uh, uh, of that area. People will stand on the beach and just watch these strange lights in the sky coming up out from under the uh, the ocean around where this um, Malibu structure is. I think we have time just to discuss one more. And it's like the Malibu structure, you write, the one near Isle Coronado is monstrous. It looks like a giant cockroach.
2: (laughs) Those are your words. I hadn't thought of that one. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's just, um, it's parallel and uh, west of um, Coronado uh, Island. And it looks like there, it's, it has um, sloping, how do you say it? It's, it's like a structure with sloping um, sides that go out. And it looks like maybe there's a portico that goes around it. And when you look down on it, straight down, uh, those porticos, because it's at an angle, uh, look like um, uh, dots that are equally spaced going around the, the the side of this. It is twice as long as the island of um, Coronado. It's uh, That picture that I include in the book is five miles long.
1: I wonder if anyone is thinking about organizing some kind of a expedition to, I don't know, sending a submersible down there with a camera or something.
2: I think that'd be great.
1: All right, well... Uh, that's just a sample of uh, some of the remarkable images you're going to find in Spy in the Sky Secrets and Cover-Ups on Earth and Beyond. And, and um, you can participate, too. Just go on to Google Earth and uh, choose either the Earth or the Moon or the Mars. Make sure that um, you take screenshots. That's so important. And uh, whatever you find, maybe you send them to
3: Mary.
2: Well, I think maybe you'd like them too. So uh, they they can let either one of us know about it. And uh, uh, if if somebody finds something really good, let's share it with people. That's why I did this book. It's like a mission. Hey, you guys, look at what's happening around here. And uh, um, it's important. So if people find something, that's great. We'll run with it. Uh, Like I said, it was a, a, a gal in a confined to her bed who first got me started on finding the discoveries in Antarctica. I will give people credit. I'm not one of those who wants to hog the stage and say, hey, I'm the one who did this. Um, So if you want an outlet for something you find, uh, contact me at skyshipsovercashers.com.
1: All right. And in the meantime, spy in the sky, amazon.com. That's correct. Mary, always a a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Fascinating
2: work. Thank you for your, your kick in the butt. Um, gosh. <laughs> you have a good evening.
1: You too. When we come back, Ali Siadatan will talk about the Great Reset, the WEF, and End Times Prophecy. Stay with us.
0: The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarratt on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting
1: me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Carlos Cagina is our technical producer and Ryan white is the live stream producer please check out my YouTube and rumble channels strange planet don't forget to hit subscribe all right we are uh, we're going to uh, discuss the great reset the the goals and aspirations of the world economic Forum under Klaus Schwab uh, we'll also talk about uh, the uh, the headlong rush into a cashless society or a digital uh, digital currency, and how all of these things sort of intersect and relate to biblical prophecy, uh, end times prophecy, the uh, the ultimate or the final arrival of the eleventh king. Ali Siadatan is a good friend of the program, and uh, he's a uh, documentary filmmaker, also the founder of Think Again Productions here in Canada, a multimedia teaching ministry, shedding light on mysteries and treasures of scriptural knowledge, which is making the Bible more real than ever, Ali has found that evidence keeps agreeing with the Bible's tale, from biblical cities peering through the sand to alien abductions and prophetic events, the website thinkagainproductions.com, and uh, you can also screen his uh, documentary, UFOs, Angels, and Gods. Ali, welcome once again.
4: Thank you for having me richard I'm looking forward to our conversation
1: so um let's first of all let's let's look at a kind of a a big picture and when you see what's happening today uh as I mentioned um, we have this great reset everyone is talking about uh we have um, the world economic Forum uh really pushing for Um, digital currency, uh, digital IDs, uh, many of these are being adopted, at least in in incremental stages. Um, So, for example, in Israel, uh, they just passed a law banning cash purchases. uh, I I believe it's above $1,700. Yes. Um, Norway now, is uh, they want to track uh, basically how everyone spends their money um yes. Sweden has introduced a carbon green like a carbon emissions credit card. It's voluntary, but once you've spent x number, you know, your limit on anything that has to that has a carbon footprint like red meat or gasoline, your credit card basically forbids you from making any more purchases. So, we're seeing the the early foundations of all of these things coming to fruition. A, digi- a digital currency and so forth um yeah i think this
4: this whole aspect of what you're describing um you'll ha- you'll own nothing and you'll be happy it's one of the sayings of this whole socialism you know the idea that you're describing which is the state knows best you know through its science through its sense a big daddy it'll control everyone and lead everyone into nirvana um, I would I would say the roots of this thing, as far as I'm concerned, come out of Bavaria. This particular picture you're painting, kind of continuing. If you, where did this come from? It, it really came out of the events of Bavaria, the two Babylons of his, and and this conspiracy that supposedly was stopped because lightning hit this guy as he was carrying the documents. But somehow it hasn't stopped, and from there we saw it spread to the French Revolution. Kind of socialism and to the Bolshevik Revolution, you know, in uh, in Russia, and then in the West, it came through. This London School of Economics teaches it. it, it it's uh, George Bernard Shaw was one of its main inventors. This whole idea of Fabian socialism, which is the main socialism of of the West, that that can be practiced in the Congress and Senate and um, you know all British and Canadian uh, parliaments. Um, and the Labour Party was created in England as an experiment, too. And FDR was a, a Fabian socialist, and so there's definitely this overarching, you know, idea uh, that, that that I would call secular socialism that comes, I think, from Bavaria, and it's. Kind of a thing. What you're when you say Bavaria,
1: you're referring to Adam Weishaupt and the and the formation of the secret Illuminati. Society, the Illuminati yeah, seventeen
4: seventy was it seventeen seventy six? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It was eighteenth century. So that that whole story, you know, something really came. You got the French Revolution. You got the Bolshevik Revolution. You got the American Republic, which is different because the French Republic was truly to be a secular republic by design. It was not just against the king, but against the Catholic church. And it came with a heavy ideology of pay- paganism and um, secularism, which, which over the centuries we began to realize it has components. Like for instance, you can only believe in what you see and you came from monkeys, that's this creation myth, and in a world of chance. And science is your guiding principle, as, as, as these monkeys, you, we, we catalog and understand the world, and the scientists are also kind of our priests. And life really doesn't really have a meaning, and the state knows best. It, it, it's just weird. It's just random ideas kind of over the centuries put together from the age of enlightenment. And yet yeah, this, this Karl Schwab and the World Economic Forum seem to be crystallizing a lot of these ideas in a more serious implementation.
1: Right. Except now, um, rather than, you know, this is some secret society uh, of, of individuals in Bavaria, and then later it spread, you know, in different parts of Europe. But really, it was, uh, I mean, it, it had considerable influence, but uh, at a certain point, I guess, you know, the uh, the monarchs, uh, various countries kind of clamped down and, and shut it down, or, or so we thought. Now, with the World Economic Forum, they have, you know, so much influence. In, in and and Schwab or Klaus Schwab rather, you know, brags about having infiltrated cabinets around the world, including here in Canada, where um, the Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland is, in fact, on the board of directors, and I believe also the former Governor of the Bank of Canada, Mark Carney. Um, they have World Banks, central banks, that, uh, and huge corporations and investment firms like BlackRock and Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs. So they they really now have the machine behind them.
4: Yeah, you don't get things connected like this together without some sort of a spiritual force behind it because it's not easy to make everything align. But the spirit of it, at least on the surface, seems to be let's put our minds together, let's connect civilizations and societies and experts, so to speak, from different parts of the world. Um, and for some strange reason, it's a lot of let's listen to this one man, you know, whose father was a Nazi, it's just a, it's just a fact. And it's, it's, it's got a bit of a cultish feeling to it, but under his leadership, a space has been created where world leaders, uh, economic uh, leaders, the corporate leaders political leaders leaders of all kinds can come together it seems not only to share ideas but to receive what is the enlightened way and since they are now the enlightened then they can now claim superiority over the population that doesn't have this enlightenment this very you know advanced and refined view born of all these specialists and and their great education and so it can give itself the, 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 the right to lead everyone without consent and to make plans and to lead the society towards those plans. And the fact that our politicians go there, I think the way they see it is, is a continuation of their university education that this is, this is smart. That there's a lot of smart people here. I'm going to learn something and I'm going to understand because imagine suddenly you are elected to political office and I imagine. Sometimes you might run out of ideas, run out of a vision, run out of what is the right way? How do I deal with inflation? Or how do I do this? Or how do I do that? And it's comforting to know that there's an assembly of experts, it seems, in this well-respected, globally attended organization that will guide you into the more enlightened and right way. So it's, it's very naturally infiltrating. And creating worldview and direction uh, for all the governments that adhere, and it seems that most governments do adhere to it. So it's very interesting. Well,
1: and as we'll discuss later in this hour, uh, you know, as to you know where is this headed, and how does it connect with uh, end times prophecy, and um, you know the, the rise of the ten kings, and ultimately the eleventh king, and you know we know who that is. So, right. and yet, if if that's what this this great reset ultimately is about, you know, leading to the, the antichrist and so forth. Um, people might say, but, but their objectives seem so noble. They want, they want equity. They want fairness. They want what they call this new thing, stakeholder capitalism. So that right. that corporations don't just work for the benefit of the rich and the shareholders, they work for everyone in the community who could argue with that.
4: Yeah um the the whole idea of the euphoria the utopia of Marxism, we already know that that doesn't work. We already know that the ideas of Karl Marx um, they don't actually manifest that that communism of, in all of its shapes in in the deep uh, east and in Russia uh, were not at all to the service of people and um, they took away the sense of creativity, um, uh, entrepreneurship, human rights, um, uh, all the things that a free society, you know, uses to build itself, and this is the same. It comes with these promises uh, of leading us, uh, but it's really about control. Uh, and once uh, the control is achieved, then it's about brainwashing and letting people think that, you know, they are living in a utopia anyone that wants to give us utopia will offer freedom and liberty and will offer creativity and ingenuity would simply you know pressure people to live in a civil way with each other um, and to make sure that law and order exists and people's rights are respected and upheld that system uh, is would, would sound more like something that would bring the culture to these to these places that you're describing. Usually, this way of, from the top, trying to create an ideal society, I mean, that's what the Iranian Revolution was about, to bring an ideal Islamic society into place, or many of the Marxist and Communist or Maoist uh, uh, revolution bring in that kind of an ideal to the people of China. But it brought brutality and death and misery. Uh, It wasn't until China began to open itself up and change, that it actually started to evolve from out of that stage so so we know from experience looking at marxism in all its forms that it never leads to those ideals because it doesn't respect certain real qualities about the human condition and it certainly doesn't take into consideration the, the the frailty of the human condition and the fact that we are fundamentally flawed and it's really not the systems that are the problem but in some ways we are our passions our greeds our fears Uh, Who we are in some ways also is is something that none of these systems can remedy. So it's a false promise of utopia. Uh,
1: There's also, there has been this progression uh, towards this dystopian uh, state that they're offering. They, you know, they're they're, they're describing it as utopian, but ultimately we know it's dystopian. Right. Uh, There is this progression, almost this gradual ratcheting up. Uh, and it is spurred along by some type of major cataclysmic event in history uh, so you know after the Second World War we had you know the the introduction of the present monetary system and then uh, we had um, you know jumping ahead we had 911 uh, uh, which brought in you know further, um, I guess solidification of the national security state and the national surveillance state, and then of course COVID, and um, which brought in you know a, a whole set of um, regimes and and uh, responses and and uh, further impetus to you know the digital ID for for travel and so forth. Uh, I think now climate change. Gets.
4: Yes, and climate change for sure. So this idea of out of chaos comes order, at chaos or the room, this idea where you create chaos and you present yourself a solution. I mean, that's that's the ABC of conspiracies. Uh, It's a very uh, old way of doing things. Um, I think that there is a certain sense of a relaxed approach to partly implementing things into the culture that play itself out and presenting itself as a solution, partly riding what opportunity provides. Um, So you have systems in place, you have a worldview that you're pushing over the course of centuries, through the school system, through the university system, and then through the people that come to work in the world in which you now have formed them through that education to be pawns, whether it's journalists, whether it's government employees, whether it's uh, United Nations employees, you're just suddenly in a world view that in which you have been instructed. There's a way you understand things and you're inside of a system, you're just a cog that does a function and now things occur in the world. There are wars, there are economic collapses, uh, there are pandemics and now you're ready to utilize it. Uh, and some of it, of course, you can also cause. It's a combination of opportunity and intent. But you've definitely put the system there uh, to to utilize it. And what is the purpose of this system? Um, it is the, an ideological form of government. Uh, that 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 you know, obviously, the people who are at the top of this food chain have beliefs. They have religious beliefs, essentially, and they they feel compelled that they need to um, implement them on uh, in the human world. It's it's as strange as it may seem. That is the conclusion where the breadcrumbs take you once you realize how organized it is, how dedicated they are, and how it unfolds over the course of centuries.
1: Right. Um, Now, um, a non-religious person might say, well, this is just the natural progression of human consciousness and human development and human evolution. Um, uh, A religious person... A Christian who believes in in the Bible and in end times prophecy and the second coming and so forth, uh, you know, would say that no, this is this is the the these are the machinations of the Antichrist, and he's taking us to this final world kingdom. What do you say to the? I guess the materialists who say no, this is just human evolution. This is human consciousness. This is how we evolve as societies.
4: Well, I I mean, there's so many things I could say, like the birth of empire and civilization in Mesopotamia, the writings that we have from the first empire shows that it was something that was handed down to them. It says that, you know, the gods chose these people to become their kings and priests. They gave them advanced knowledge to build giant temples, and then they gave them laws uh, like the Code of Hammurabi uh, from the sun god Apollo. And this is the story of all the civilizations, that they received some sort of a code Heavenly code that began them. This is just history. Now you can say, "Well, I don't believe it." Somebody just came up with these things, but they're too complex. Um, and the words of these people that changed the world, like the words of Jesus, changed the Roman Empire, uh, the world. The words of Muhammad, or the words of Moses, or the Hindu writings—they they all, you know, formed entire civilizations. That's just the facts of history, and they're very complex. Um, yes, there has always been empires, but empires began, it seems, because of this some sort of a connection, some sort of a revelation. Be- before that, human society was organized in patriarchies, in family clans. The whole concept of empire is born, it seems, of the desire uh, uh, to, to control coming from, one could argue, who are these beings that seek to implement empire and have a representative why would they start this in the south of Mesopotamia? And is this really real? The gods of Rome and uh, the power behind the emperor and the, and what we're talking about today, the idea that there is a hand behind this. What hand would have such a desire and why would it be doing this? Um, the only thing that makes sense is, 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 is if the whole story of the Bible is true. If really we humans are in fact um, Part of a much larger story, we were born uh, as part of a world of God and angels, and our history is marked by this interaction and these empires um, uh, are not natural empires uh, they have spiritual forces behind them because we are fundamentally in a spiritual story. Now, if a person might say, "Well, I don't really buy into all of this i just I just think it's humans that do these human things." Um, that's fine, but he is still in that story. He will still see these prophecies come true, as they always do, and, and he will see that, you know, even God Himself will will, will intervene on the stage of history because um, these events are not born simply of, of of the natural human world; they are born of a will to control and dominate the human world. And we can't really be rescued from it without this exterior intervention. And I think that's what the UFO phenomenon is about. And I would point to that as well. And I would say, is this not the empirical evidence of this angelic presence and of this larger story that the Bible points to? So I'd say there's archeology, span there's prophecy that is fulfilled. Uh, There is evidence of the things of the Bible and the story makes sense and history moves in the direction of it so all of these things are compelling evidence to the reasonable mind
1: aliciatitan think again productions think again productions.com all right so when we come back let's talk about uh, if we are headed towards perhaps this you know this final empire to be ruled over by the 10 kings and then ultimately the 11th king where is the the i guess the scriptural Uh, evidence for that. We'll be back, more of our discussion in just a few minutes. Stay with us.
0: Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down, and it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740.
1: We're back with Ali Siadatan from Think Again Productions, documentary filmmaker. We're talking about The Great Reset, the WEF, uh, and how that connects with uh, end times prophecy. So, um, we often talk about the book of Daniel when we're yes. talking about the, the end times. Uh, what's it? What, does Daniel differ from the other prophets in terms of sort of laying out what's ahead of us?
4: Um, yeah, it does. It doesn't differ to lay what's ahead of us, but it has a very significant difference. Especially clear in the Hebrew canon. So in the Hebrew canon of the Old Testament, all the prophets are in one section called Neveim, which is with the historical books, because God says and God does on the stage of history. So they're put together. And the first five books of the books of Moses, Torah, and then there is the historical and prophetic books. This is called Neveim. And then there's the third section called Writings, Ketuvim, which is has things like wisdom literature, like the Proverbs of Solomon, the Psalms right. of David, biblical lamentation, Esther, these scrolls, scrolls that stand out, Ruth, and also the prophetic book of Daniel, the only prophetic book that's not with the other prophecies, or with the other books of prophets. Um, why? Because the other books, all of them, it came to my attention, seem to tell about the future history of Israel. And they paint a positive picture of the future, at redemption, God's intervention, uh, the earth returning to the, to the Garden of Eden, and an age of peace being ushered in um, by the Messiah of Israel. Uh, and, and so it's, it's a very positive picture that the prophets of Israel paint. There is a moment of conflict that corresponds to the transition between the age of empire and this utopia of God. But that's mentioned, you know, here and there briefly. But the focus is on the redemption and restoration of Israel and of the planet. The Book of Daniel is very different. The Book of Daniel is the only book that doesn't tell the story of Israel. It tells the story of the Gentile empires. It's distinct in that. And it's written, only the first and last chapter are written in Hebrew. The whole book is written in Aramaic which was the international language of politics at the time of Daniel, the language of empire. So it's the book of the empires of the Gentiles is written to them in this language of their, you know, international uh, relations uh, at the time of Daniel and delivered in that sense to the king of Babylon, who is the the first person who really receives the message and his vision, his dream that Daniel te- interprets for him has in it all that the book of Daniel is ever going to talk about. Those empires. It's as though the rest of the book of that Daniel is a horizontal version of the vertical statue of, this, of the beginning of the book. And so he goes through it. And so it's different in that sense. It tells the story of empire and the empire of Gentiles instead of the story of Israel. And so it takes us into this final world empire, because it tells us something very important about God. It says he changes times and seasons, he removes kings and installs kings. So it it attributes the rise and fall of empires and the coming and going of kings to the will of God. God is the king of kings, God is deciding even the Gentile empires of history will be decided by God's timing and will be under God's authority. And then it proceeds to point out four empires to us of all the different, you know, kingdoms and powers that have existed in history. It suddenly pulls four out of the pages of history out for us. The Babylonian, one of Nebuchadnezzar, the king, the Medo-Persians, the Greek and the Romans. And what happens to Rome is that Rome scatters into many small heads. Um, when it attacks Jerusalem and destroys the temple, in the ninth of the month of Av, which is coming up, and uh, which is interesting that the Romans and the Babylonians, centuries apart, destroyed the temple on the same day of the Hebrew calendar. All of the you know these events turned and turned to make history a coincidence. People say, but yet is it coincidence? So this is always there's always this evidence of you know design in the movement of history. And it seems that in return, God, you know, responded by sending his spirit to to the Roman Empire and and changed the Roman Empire in that way. And also scattered and broke the Roman Empire into pieces the way that the Roman Empire scattered the Jewish people and broke the temple into pieces. Um, Because God had said that he would bless those who bless Abraham and curse those who curse Abraham. So the reverse occurred and then it scattered But it always maintained the symbol of the eagle, which was a symbol of Zeus, of Jupiter, its God. It always kept that symbol in all its flags. And so the Western Rome, you know, divided into all of these, the Holy uh, uh, Roman Empire of Charlemagne, um, the Portuguese, the Spanish, Napoleon, the British reaching out from the isle and having all these heads, you know, but the symbol of the eagle carries on. Even the German Nazis used it. And in, in the east, when Constantinopolis, the center of Eastern Rome, fell to the Ottomans in 1453, the prince escaped to Moscow, and the leaders of Russia said that they will take on the burden of Rome, and they will be the third Rome. That's what they called themselves. And, and they, they will you know be the heralds of Rome and of Christianity. And so they took the name Tsar at that point, which means Caesar in Slavic, the way that German says Kaiser. And they took the double-headed eagle of Byzantium of Constantinopolis as their symbol, which is still on their shields. So all the way from Moscow, through the European capitals into DC, we see that Rome flourished and continued. And the Renaissance, you know, brought all the knowledge of antiquity forward, even the Senate, even the architecture of the Capitol is on purpose designed around a Roman temple, according to Thomas Jefferson's desires, who happened to also be a Mason. And that's why he chose that July 4th, you know, the very middle of the year, you know, the day of illumination. And so he he may have also been a Christian, like that. he may have had many different ideas go through his head. So the Rome continues and continues to rule, the fourth empire never stops ruling, but it gets divided into all of these heads. And so now that Jerusalem is reunited under Jewish rule since 1967, now that we have come to the end of history and the time of the judgment of the empires, God may allow Rome to unite again, and this is what the coalition of the ten kings may be about. The final the re the reemergence of of the Roman Empire uh, and and that's what really Bible prophecy points to that there will be a final empire um, uh, 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 that will contend with God himself but it really it's in the days of this empire that God will usher in his own kingdom this is what you know the book of Daniel the book of revelation uh really point and the reason you kind of see how the book of Daniel may be relevant to this conversation is because it tells the story of the age of empire. And so it really sheds a lot of light on the parts of the book of Revelation that are also meditating in the language of symbols, like the dream of the king, in Nebuchadnezzar, in Daniel chapter two, which was in the language of symbols God spoke about the age of empire. In the book of Revelation too. God speaks in the language of symbols about empire, but he gives us more clues about the things that Daniel spoke about. So, why would God allow
1: this to happen? I mean, this particular—if we're heading towards this, you know, final empire—this um, one is, again, um, I would say, highlighted by uh, a, you know a loss of sovereignty. Individual freedom, loss of rights, uh, even uh, we've got the transhumanist movement that's also involved. That seems to be in, wrapped up in all of this. Why is God allowing all of these dystopian things to befall mankind? We just we just have about a minute and a half here, and then we'll pick this up on in the next segment. But let's begin the discussion.
4: I think these are the birth pangs uh, of of a new age of history in humanity is forged and formed by how it relates to God. Each individual is formed by their relationship to God, and humanity as a whole is forced by its relationship to God for the destiny that awaits it, because the earth is the birthplace of the immortal sons of God who have a role to play in the future of the cosmos. And these are the mechanisms of the training, of the forming, and of the birth of these characters, but it's safe because God is in control and sits on the throne he, it's all really tightly in his hands. He sets the limits of things. It is safe. So I would say it is the school of good and evil. It is the place of birth of an entire race that has a destiny. And this is the struggle that shapes it, that forms it, that informs it, that tests it. And uh, and it's, it's done in a kind of a safe playground. Uh,
1: well, interesting. Uh, safe. Although, I mean, it's going to be a rough ride. Uh, <laughs> yes,
4: that's for sure.
1: Ali Siadatan, Think Again Productions, UFOs, Angels, and Gods is uh, the documentary. Uh, what else is going on on the website? At uh, well, people can, if
4: they're interested, um, I'm doing an audio series on the Book of Revelation in my Patreon page, Patreon.com/slash Think Productions, and you know you can you can kind of sign up for that and just listen to the chapter by chapter study. I'm really enjoying creating it and researching it, it's fascinating, and there's a lot that we can understand, and I think that to to your question, you know, it's a rough ride, Um, I think that God equips His people and fortifies His people spiritually inside, and also I think this knowledge is comforting to understand that as you go through it, you realize, I see, so there's this empire, there's this, you know, world leader, and, and it's, it's going to get very crazy if what the Bible says is going to happen. It's going to be demonic, it's going to be fallen angels are going to okay. come out of the ground. It's going to be something that we haven't seen, seen since the days of Noah. But apparently, you know, Noah went through the flood, the, the friends of Daniel stood in a burning furnace and survived, and there are many such tales of God his power being in the midst of people's sufferings, comforting people spiritually through supernatural edification and power from within, and, and also informing their worldview in a way that sees the events in a different way. Uh, like Joseph said to his brothers, you intended it for evil but God for good. I know they put him through through hell, but yet he came out as the Pharaoh of Egypt or as as the second in command and save the world from famine. In the book of Job, which is a study of human suffering, we see that God is in complete control and places the limits of what Satan can do to Job. So God is in control of this empire, of these fallen angels, of their their chosen leader. God is setting limits, like in the book of Job. God doesn't give Job more than he can take. So I, I assume that's true for each one of us. And, and in the midst of his suffering, he receives great visions and revelations. And finally, as he goes through the ordeal, and and it seems safely and successfully, he comes out far more blessed at the other end than than the life he had before, which was already very blessed. So these things tell us that, 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 yes, it's a rough ride, but God is in charge okay
1: but we 're you know in, we're talking now we're we're hearing rumblings about massive disruptions to the food supply which have already begun, possible food shortages um you know in some of the the more darker scenarios we're hearing about things like you know internment camps for the non compliant we're, we're talking we're hearing right.
3: about
1: you know um, social credit scores so that all of your every purchase you make will have to be sort of approved
4: horrible. I, I think that, that they're going to have a much harder time. That's why, to your point, that there's crises needed. And the environment is really being p- pumped up as, as a big next one. It has to be global. It has to be big. It has to be scary. And we have to want to comply because we, this is how we feel safe. So I think that it's not as easy to implement all of these ideas. I think that we're seeing uh, where they want to take it. I think that we have a say. I think we can fight back. I think there is people who talk about it openly, and those who don't, but they, they agree that, okay, I don't really want this. And so I don't think it's as easy, because there's two sides to the story. And we have a will, and they have to control humans. I mean, I, I have a hard time controlling my dog sometimes when I go for a walk, or my kids, like, it's not so easy to just control humans. So, so I think that we have we have a fight to fight. Well, that yeah, that's we what can mitigate these things.
1: Mitigate these things. Okay, we're heading into a break, but when we come back, I mean, yeah, if, if, as you say, sometimes God uses these things, Satan uses them for evil, God uses them for good, uh, are these things that are coming, I mean, do, do we fight back, or do we just accept them as part of God's plan? I
4: mean, isn't... Well, isn't what do you all- want to be the testimony of our generation? that we fought back or or at least even pointed to it in the context of the prophetic word or that we just said nothing and no reflection on it and no action on it obviously we want to reflect on it in the context of prophecy and we want to act because things happen through action um i think that's all okay what i think the bible prophecies point to this nightmarish scenario.
1: A few minutes remain with Ali Siadatan, thinkagainproductions.com. So when we look at the Great Reset and all of these disruptions to the food supply, war in Ukraine, rampant inflation, where is this all headed?
4: As far as the world system is concerned, is an economic collapse, perhaps, because in order to create a new system, you have to collapse the old one. So I think that Moving to 2030, that's the 100th year anniversary of the Great Depression. And there is a cycle, an economic cycle, a very important one, that is measured in 75 to 100 year cycles. It's called the long-term debt cycle. And if it does come to its apex in 19, in 2029, then we will enter into a Great Depression once again. And that really is the kind of economic uh, world out of which fascism rises. That people look for strong leaders to rescue them, and and so I think that's that's when we might see the rise of the ten kings in the thirties. And if there is a war between, let's say, this this Iran, the Islamic Republic, you know, and, and its desire to attack Israel, and now this connection with Russia, that may be, you know, this idea of humiliating Russia or push, or secluding it, or or this this can backfire. You know, the, you can make a man angry to the point where he wants to do more. And then he might press, you know, uh, suddenly be haunted by the spirit that wishes to press against Jerusalem because there is a prophecy of a war never happened that involves Iran and other countries mentioned. Some believe Russia is involved in that. So if these things happen in the late 20s and there's economic weakness, then yes we could see that in the 2030s kind of like the 1930s the rise of fascism and then out of that fascism a a new furor you know coming out um so these are kind of the 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 next things we should look for the rise of the uh, of a coalition of 10 nations of kings um israel signing a treaty with the nations of the world and and with 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 her islamic neighbors Possibly, you know, wars of huge magnitude that involve the destruction of the Sea of Damascus. And, you know, God forbid, of course, I don't want any city to be destroyed, but I'm just repeating the things of the prophetic picture paints and, 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 and a great regional war that I think might usher in the need for a world leader and the need for world peace and the need for a, 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 an agreement with Israel. Um, so, mm-hmm. so these are some things, some of the things we should look for, um, and yet have a fluid mind as God continues to educate us uh, uh, as we go forward. Uh, But definitely the big landmark on the world stage is the rise of this final world leader, the famous Antichrist. And yes, the Bible says a tremendous, huge amount of stuff about this guy. And he is a cult leader, and he is... Uh, you know, demonically hooked up and he is going to try to deceive the whole world and even rally the world against God. It's all real. I mean, it's incredible. And that's why I think the UFO phenomenon is so compelling because it could be kind of the evidence of this angelic dimension to our tale. Israel has returned. Jerusalem is, again, part of the Jewish Commonwealth. The angels of God and, and of the enemy are, are are aligning over our heads. The empires of the world are regathering. The eagles are reuniting. And if, if you know, Russia has hooked, let's say, into Iran, uh, America, into the Sunni world, these more modern empires of Greece and Rome seems to hook into the old Persian empire and Mesopotamian empire and the Egyptian empire and, and kind of form a whole, as though the whole statue comes together under the rule of 10 leaders. And that will hold back the kings of the east, like, you know, India and China. And China is having massive economic problems right now. It's credit system is on the verge of collapse because of the real estate that's collapsing there it's it's in a, in a deleveraging cycle which is like the great depression and it's basically they call it the lost decade china has just entered into the lost decade in its economic cycle it's out for a while so so the west has time to kind of build and and if this coalition does come together because because of of the future rise of china and russia may come back into the fold and join the other eagles and connect to the older empires of Persia and Mesopotamia. And if all of that forms a whole, um, then definitely it'll be much stronger than anything come from the East. I think the forming of this empire of the 10 Kings is the next thing on the stage of history. Perhaps the Magog invasion of Ezekiel 38, 39, we'll see if that happens by the end of this decade with the rise of Iran and Russia and their allies uh, in the Islamic world. Um, And what you're saying, you know, this whole idea of of the Jihad against Israel that we're witnessing right now with all the missiles. If this, you know, comes to a final head, that's another thing we should be looking for. Ultimately, uh, spiritual awakening within the Jewish people will continue. And also among all people, I mean, the return of Israel has been a blessing to everyone as the land has come back to life so the people that believe in christ all around the world have come into massive new revelation in the past you know 70 years our understanding of the bible continues to get revolutionized like never before and it really seems to be there's an echo of of the blessing that has returned to this land and to and to the the fulfillment of prophecies happening before our eyes and, and those who are grafted in the spiritual family, the spiritual children of Abraham are also being suddenly rejuvenated. And I think this is preparing us. One of the symbols of the age of Antiochus Epiphanes is the candlestick, the, the menorah, you know, and, and it's the Hanukkah season. And so it's, it's when does the, the light shine strongest? When the darkness rises, the, the light becomes all the brighter. So I think it's kind of preparing us. So there's a spiritual birth happening around the world as people study these things and they're called by God. And I mean, the whole Muslim world is going through a huge spiritual revival of people coming to know Jesus. China, massive revival. Africa, uh, we've seen that for, for quite some time. So there's really this, this harvest, that's rising, and perhaps there will even be again a harvest from the West. So, so I'm seeing a time of spiritual revival, uh, and yet the warm the forming of fake world religion. I'm seeing the time that leads us to, to, to a utopia, and yet the rise and judgment of Eva, evil empire and, and, and something dark that needs to be cleansed coming to the surface and then being removed. And so I think this is the kinds of times we're living in, and we're perfectly designed for it. Uh, and God will lead us through it. We, we can just, in that sense, take a deep breath. I'm not saying it'll be comfortable, like you were saying, but maybe we, we have grown very soft in our cushy, cushy, you know.
1: That's, that's so true. Well, it's very, it's comforting to hear you say that uh, we were, we are designed for this. Uh, we're about to have our metal tested like never before. Uh, there's another expression, you know, uh, uh, God uh will either lighten your load or strengthen your back so
4: right no that's true that he does support us from inside the um, this really is a time where people want to come to know god and to 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 make that connection for themselves in their private lives so that they can have the strength the light the truth the way the benefits the blessing that comes from knowing jesus and knowing him as the king of your life he's the, he has he's a real character of history and and what the book of Daniel reveals about him and I'll just read this um, prophecy that Daniel saw that the son of man he says, "I was watching in the night visions behold." one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven he approached the ancient of days and was brought into his presence dominion glory and sovereignty were given to him that all people's nations and languages should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed jesus ascended into a white cloud and through and left the earth to fulfill this prophecy of daniel's this vision he had 500 years before. And this is the reality of our planet. He is the king. He has received the throne over Israel and over all the nations. And he's returning with an army to the earth to rid us of all of this thing that we're seeing in the UFO phenomenon, the empires and the the dark societies and their leaders and their weird plan to rule, to control, to Um, uh, brainwashed to implement their own religion and science and to to compete with God's plans for the human race. He's coming to remove all of these things, and we need that intervention. So making that connection, pledging that allegiance, I think, is key to everyone's peace and security in their own personal lives and for the lives of their family. Uh, It's a real story, and we're in it. Ali
1: Siadatan thinkagainproductions.com and patreon.com slash thinkagainproductions. Ali, always a pleasure. Thank you so much.
4: Thank you for having me, Richard.
1: All right, my thanks to Carlos Kajina and Ryan White back next week with a brand new program. Hope you'll be along for that one. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite, I'm coming
0: home. Good night.